In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole on the rope and try not to go down in a heap. You are too late. My blood now flows through her veins. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from my porch in beautiful northeast Minneapolis. There at the top of the show, we heard Joe the Shredder Richter shredding my theme song. And you'll hear from him later on in this podcast talking about shreds. And I decided to pop in a little something from Frothula. Jeremy Frothsoff Smith of the Thought Eater podcast, legendary podcaster and blogger. Because we all need a little more froth in our lives. Lives. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, some of you probably haven't heard from Froth in a long time. I hadn't either, so I reached out maybe a month ago just to see how things were going. And I'm happy to say that Froth said uh, he and his family are doing well. So if you're wondering, Froth is okay and still, I don't know, hopefully he's still gaming. I I didn't ask him that, but uh, it would be great if I could get froth back on the show sometime just to catch up and see what he's been up to and and whatnot so froth if you're listening and you want to be on uh you want to have a little conversation drop me a line as far as my podcast goes well i've probably said this over the course of the three and a half years or whatever it's been going on i've probably many times said i'm gonna try and podcast more or i'm gonna start doing this or that or whatever. And that's, uh, I think a lot of people go through that, like trying to figure out just what the hell the podcast is about or the format that might be best. And we all kind of morph through those things and change. And I don't know if it's evolving, it's changing and sometimes reverting back to our old comfort zones Hmm, sounds a little bit like our game habits, huh? But I have been thinking that I should probably try and podcast more again. So what I'm going to try and do is release one every Wednesday because I'm off virtually every Wednesday. And then I'm going to try and do get back to doing my Roll for Random Thoughts Saturdays again. And Saturday mornings just kind of put together some little short thing with some little tidbits, short format, maybe 15 minutes or less. Wednesday will be longer format. And I'm going to try and do a little, uh, try and do some reviews once in a while to some new products I've gotten. Uh, in which case, it, some of them aren't new products, they're just new to me. Um, uh, lest I forget, thanks to Cody from the No Save For You podcast for your very kind message regarding my friend Bill. My group did uh, have a little voice Zoom chat, or I guess it was Teams. Uh, And that was good. I mean, talking about Bill, just kind of catching up, talking about gaming, what we're going to do. Keith is going to, we're both going to, Keith and I are both going to start some new game campaigns. Um, Keith is going to run Caverns of Thracia, 
the classic um, proto-mega dungeon, I don't know what you want to call it, by uh, Janelle Jaquez, who originally released it, I don't know, back in the, was it the early 80s, late 70s? I don't know, a long, long time ago. And I have that on PDF, I bought it a few years ago, and I don't even know if I'd call it skimmed it. I thumbed through the first few pages um, and never got around to reading it, which I'm glad now because Keith is going to run it. And I'm going to... I'm putting together a a little campaign setting utilizing a bunch of material from Tim Schwartz's Gothridge Manor, Patreon, and some other zines that I have, as well as my own malarkey, some of it recycled from the Lost Plains stuff I was talking about a couple of years ago. Man, has it really been two years ago? These last two years have just been a blur. And I'll start bl- stop blabbing now, and uh, we'll move on to some calls that we got. Got a lot of, a lot of feedback about uh, thoughts on dice. I was talking about dice superstitions and um, habits and thoughts on like whether or not it matters whether the DM rolls something or uh, the players roll something. So we've got some calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Cody from No Save For You, Daniel from Bandit's Keep, and I'm probably forgetting someone, but uh, let's move on to that right now. Hey Rob, great to hear you back on the air. As far as house rules, yeah, I'm definitely not saying people shouldn't use house rules and the group shouldn't play the game they want. If if my messages are saying that inadvertently, I apologize to you and your listeners because that's not what I'm trying to get across. The group should play the w- way they want to play. I'll call you with a separate call reference bad house rules or house rules that, that some GMs inflict on players. But as far as dice go, you also asked a question about dice. You know, having played in a game where the GM rolls all the dice and having run games where I, as the GM, made most of the decisions and having played games where the players roll all the dice and the mixture thereof, I don't... To me, it doesn't matter a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, it's fun to roll dice, so... You know, that's the one thing that you lose if you don't get to roll dice. So I think that's the biggest... Honestly, to me personally, and I know other people might feel differently, but me personally, it doesn't really matter to me if I roll the dice or you roll the dice. Now, in my latest episode, Daniel from Bandit's Keep does mention the, the advantage of the DM rolling the die is that, in effect, could surprise a player. Where if the player rolls the fail die, you know they 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 check for traps and they fail, but because they're you know they're because they're, they're not going to game the situation, they say, well, I didn't find anything, so I'm going to open this nail. Well, they kind of are flinching right internally because they know there's pro- there, there there may be a trap there. Where if the DM rolls the die, you don't have that internal you you know you you don't have that pre mindset, so it is a true surprise when you go to open it. Same thing with, like, move silently or hide in shadows. So I think there's something to that. But the biggest reason to roll dice is because it's fun. 
Hey Rob, it's Cody. I uh, was just catching up on your latest episode and wanted to talk about dice superstition. Um, I don't think I really believe in, like, you know, if I buy a set of Chesex dice and buy another set of Chesex dice, um, they're probably both going to run a roll about the same, right? Um, I think the dice that I have that I use the most, I'm most fond of because they've just been with me for so long, but I don't think it imparts any kind of, like, mystical mojo, dice mojo to them, um, as much as I would like for that to be the case. Um, I do, I do remember when I was a kid, we were playing this, you could get these Star Wars miniature packs, and it was like a, a skirmish game, and it ca they came with these little orange D20s. Every pack you would buy, you'd get one of these little orange D20s, and they were so crappy. Um, uh, they, they just roll, like, terrible. And it would get to the point where we would just start bringing our own dice from D&D into this game so that we didn't have to use the shitty orange ones that came with the, <laughs> that came with the minis. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's just bad manufacturer, not, you know, not dice mojo. But uh, I know those things always rolled like crap. So anyway, bud, keep up the good work. Looking forward to hearing the next episode and I'll catch you later. Yo, Rob, so calling in now to talk about your final thought from your last episode about rolling dice and stuff. As a player, I always want to roll my own dice. As a dungeon master, I want the players to roll dice for themselves, and I roll dice for the other stuff. Why is that? I, I don't... I don't know. Like you were saying, uh, I think part of it is the feeling that, like, fate is in my hands, which, you know... Is there some validity to that? I don't know. I doubt it, but yeah, I don't maybe it makes me feel more like a participant, uh, an active participant in the game instead of sort of just kind of sitting back. I, yeah, I don't know. That who knows, man. <laughs> Those are just my preferences. As a player, I want to roll my own dice. As a dungeon master, players roll their own, I roll my own and everybody's happy peace. Hey, Rob, uh, I thought I would call in about the dice thing. I think it's really interesting. This is probably going to be two calls, but just you were talking about the pulling out the blue die or whatever. When I was running my 5e campaign for, God, over three years in person, I would just like dump like these two, I bought like three pounds of dice and you just dump them on the table for everybody to use. And then whenever I would be selecting my dice, like sometimes the players would be like, oh, don't use that purple set today. You critted last time with them. And then one of the players would grab them and be like, yeah, I'm going to take them. And then they would roll terrible or something. It would just be really funny. They'd be like, no, they're only good for the DM. So yeah, it's, it's just really funny how that plays out. It's, it's very likely that when we're using certain dice and people see them rolling a certain way, it's because you did like extra dice or more dice that you're rolling. You know, like I have my basic set of dice that I roll, but then when I have to roll extra D20s, I pull out a few. So I'm only rolling those extra D20s when I'm rolling for a lot of monsters, which means, of course, the chance of getting a crit is much higher. But psychologically, it's like, oh no, those other dice. As to the players rolling I, I mean i suspect that i would probably be fine in a game where i didn't roll any dice but it really depends on what you come to the game to get i think the the gamey part of it for D, &D at least in a lot of people's brain or mind is the rolling of the dice right it's like you you put rolling dice with playing a game when you're just talking and doing what people often call role play describing your actions and stuff Sure, you're playing a game, but that's the equivalent of, like, doing a crossword puzzle versus playing cards, right? They're both, in theory, games, but 
the crossword puzzle doesn't have that like it's just strictly on you there's none it doesn't like throw it up in the air and there's there's a certain fun to to letting the as i say the dice gods uh step in so i think it just feels more gamey to roll dice and i think that's why players like it as far as reasonings for people um this is a good question i think as far as why some dms want the players to roll all the dice i would say that for me i have the players roll dice oftentimes that are generally statted for the dm to roll because i'm trying to build some kind of a uh tension like i mentioned on jason's podcast sometimes i'll the character will be like, oh my god, I only have one hit point left. And I'll be like, well, this guard's attacking you. Roll a each one to see if it hits you. And I'll do that because that adds a different layer of tension to the game. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. my fate's in my own hand. I'm like, yes, of course, whoever rolls the die doesn't matter. But there is that like idea, right? But then some people talk about the idea of trust, which you mentioned, which so I won't get into that. And then some people also talk about the idea of it's just easier for the DM to not have to roll dice. I don't find that to be the case. I don't mind rolling dice. I like rolling dice as the DM, so... For me, I could take or leave it, but um, as you probably know if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm in the camp of sometimes you roll, sometimes you don't. Hey, thanks everyone for your thoughts on die rolling and the superstitions and processes and why we do it, why maybe we don't. Some of the topics that were brought up, which ring true to me, is... Die rolling is fun. Rolling a die, whether it's a handful or just one, makes makes you feel like you're playing a game, right? Uh, I think just the the tactile feel of dice uh, brings me into the game, makes me just like board games too. When there's pieces involved that you're moving around or something, it's it's um yeah that that physical part of the game that that uh is kind of a gateway or something and while gamers disagree on so many things that there aren't many well i don't know i'd have to think about that but if you were to have some real poll that somehow captured the likes and dislikes uh, of gaming, of different aspects of gaming. My hunch is that there wouldn't be many things that would rate higher than rolling dice. I think everyone likes rolling dice, and that's why I feel like both players and game masters should roll dice in a game because, hey, it helps the GM get into it too and have fun. So, So that's... One of the main reasons why I'm not a huge, I'm not enamored with games that have just all player facing die rolls where they do all the dice rolling. And, and maybe the DM is, is rolling something like Wandering Monsters or just like, uh, I don't know, Weather or something. <laughs> something. But uh, yeah, so die rolling is fun. There's also kind of a nostalgia to it that. Cody kind of brought up and and sometimes they just like dice for the way they look or it make it brings you back when you roll a die to thinking about when you rolled this die before and something really memorable happened uh, as a result of the outcome you know you rolled a, a critical hit or you you failed horribly at something or uh, you saved the whole party because of you 
you rolled this great roll with this one die, so you kind of build an attachment to it. I remember my first set of dice that came with my Moldvay box set. They were kind of a mixture of pale blue and uh, and brown. <laughs> and I, I had the brown D12 for a long time, and now when I was looking around for it, I don't know what happened to that now, too. Um, and I probably had the D12 because it you rolled it so seldomly that it didn't wind up falling off the table or rolling under the couch or whatever, you know? But the the D20 that came with it was a pale blue. And I rolled that thing so many times that all the corners started wearing off, so it was almost like a ball. And it was obviously not weighted, or not, you know, the surface area was wasn't... Uh, equal on all the faces so some things would come up more often than others so I've, I stopped using it eventually but but for a long time it was kind of hard to find just dice sets um, but I do find myself like I bought a new dice set the, the last time I was at the game store uh, a week ago or something just because I I don't know sometimes it's fun to just have different looking dice and one, the one kind of, it's not really a superstition, but the one thing in my head that sometimes uh, bothers me is when I have a dice set, they're all the same color or pattern or whatever, and I lose one of them. Um, I like to have the whole set in the same color or with the same styles. <laughs> so that kind of bugs me when I don't have all the right dice or the right colors or whatever so and especially when we were playing face to face um, sometimes someone would you know grab one of your dice because you know they forgot to bring theirs or they they couldn't in their mess of dice they're not finding a d12 or whatever so they grab yours and and then it somehow gets mixed in with theirs and or it just disappears somehow rolls off the table or whatever you know but it seems like I lose dice maybe more than I should. <laughs> anyway, so I bought this new set of dice that's kind of a a deep purpley with kind of like a little metallic hint to it. I think it's called like volcano or something. I can't. I don't know, but it's got bright. It's it's got big white numerals on it. So that's one aspect of dice I really like is that they're legible that you can. You roll it, and even if it winds up three feet away from you, you can tell what the number is on it. So, hmm. I think Joe brought up the idea of feeling more active and involved when you're roll the one rolling dice. I think that's totally true. Um, which I can I can see um, how someone would want to roll their own like hiding role or their perception role or you know finding traps sneaking up on someone because that they feel like they're more involved when they roll it and those things i'm kind of the opposite I'd, I'd much rather have the gm roll it i think it's a lot it works better in the game when when you don't know until it's becomes obvious that you failed somehow 
that you didn't notice those goblins hiding in the in the shrubs until you're walking by and they pop up with bows and surprise you <clears throat> or that you're trying to sneak past the sentries and um, you don't realize that you uh, alerted them somehow until it's too late and they've turned to see you when you roll the die it's it just feels kind of kooky to me to be acting out like oh I'm gonna pretend I don't I know I didn't uh, that I that I failed the roll I'm gonna go ahead and open the treasure chest even though I know I failed my fine traps roll so there might be something on here I'd much rather just not know in my head whether I was successful or not you know um so that's my own personal bias in that regard uh Daniel brought up a few interesting points about how dice can be thought of as lucky or unlucky more often, I think, in the hands of the DM because they're typically rolling the dice more than any one player is. If there are you know, four players in a DM, um, each of the players are presumably only rolling a quarter of the time for the player side of the board. And the DM's rolling all the dice all the time for the DM side, you know, the monsters and all that. So they have more opportunities to be rolling really good rolls or really poor rolls and stuff. So, yeah, I can see where that slants the bias. Um, building tension, I think, is a good um, aspect of that, too, where you can, once in a while, kind of turn the tables and say, well, this is a really important roll, so I'll let you roll it. I think that can be a good, um, used sparingly, I think that can be a really good technique to kind of shake things up in the game a little bit, just change the perspective. Um, trust, I think, is a really big issue for some people, um, and, and those that are adamant about being able to roll the dice, um, I think it is largely trust that they think the DM is out to get them. Or maybe the opposite, they're, they're fudging the dice to save them and their victories are hollow or something and they don't want them to be. Um, so, and, and Jason, who's been talking about this on Nerds RPG Variety Cast uh, now and then, a few, I think a few people even called in saying that um, if you have a dice tower, you could face it towards the DM and the player could drop it in the dice tower and only the DM would know the result, <laughs> which, okay, I mean, if that makes the player feel all right or better about the game, that's, that's fine, but that's, to me, that's ridiculous. What, <laughs> what is really gained there? I don't know, because you're still just relying on the DM to tell you what was rolled, right? Uh, I don't know. Um, and I agree with Daniel that it's the idea that it's easier to have the players roll doesn't really, at least at my tables. Maybe if you have like 10 players it would be easier to have them roll, I, but it's just adjudicating dice rolls and, and actually doing them hasn't been the challenge for me in the past. Um, boy, I've got some noisy birds out here this morning. Um, I'll have to listen back to this to see if it's too distracting. 
Um, <laughs> now they are distracting me. Ah. Bottom line, I think die rolling is fun. I think it makes the games feel more like games. Kind of like how chess, to me, isn't as fun as other like war games and stuff that have dice or cards or some kind of random element to it. Um, and I think that games that have just the players rolling or just the GM rolling would lose some of the pizzazz because of that. So I, I like when people have their little... Um, superstitions or um, habitual things they do with dice and and stuff. I, I think that's fun and that's part of the game. That's what kind of brings out the personality of or one aspect of the, the personality of the players what someone brings that's maybe unique to the table. Um, I, <laughs> I think of Adam in my game when we play face-to-face um, first, he's usually one of those players that likes to know what they need to roll. And then he sits and, like, is holding the die in his hand, shaking it, shaking it, shaking it, and sometimes talking about about it, almost like he's trying to <laughs> convince the die to roll what he wants before he lets, lets fly. So, I mean, it takes him at least three times longer than anyone else at the table to just roll a die. Which sometimes can be irritating, but most of the time is kind of uh, endearing. So, uh, but it's, yeah, all these different things um, are part of the game and part of what makes um, everything fun for people. So, but there's uh, some other calls. Jason talked, alluded a little bit to house rules at the top. He's going to talk about genre, and then Daniel's got some house rules, and then we'll close out with Joe with a cheesy thought. So, few more calls before we go. All right, I'm down in the rumpus room now. Yeah, so the dice I bought are from Metallic Dice Games. MetallicDiceGames.com 16mm acrylic poly dice set. Stardust. Super Volcano. Yeah, I think they're cool. Um, I don't ever remember having purple dice and this is like a deep purple like smoke on the water and I bought a couple other not the exact same thing but uh, in their uh, loose dice bins at the source they had two other kind of purpley sets that come close to matching it and I thought it was cool to just have uh, I like having th three six siders because you're rolling 3d6 right and a lot of times you're rolling multiple d6s um, especially in BX for morale, reactions, all that stuff. So I, why dice sets, standard dice sets, don't contain three six-siders, I don't know. I'm against it. I think if they increased the price a dollar or two but had three six-siders, my hunch is most gamers would prefer that, damn it. All right, now back to the calls. And maybe I'll... I don't know how useful it is. I, I, I sometimes put pictures, you know, like a photo or something in the insert, uh, in Anchor. So when you bring up the episode, it's got a picture or something. And it it probably only displays if you actually listen to the podcast in Anchor. So I don't know why I do it. But 
Anyway, I'll maybe take a snap of the dice and put in the photo. As far as genre goes, no, I, th I think we're on the same sheet of music. D&D &D definitely, by third edition, one of the design goals of third edition was to make D&D &D its own genre and not depend on other genres. You know, so <laughs> it, it is its own thing, right? Um, and, and I think it always, to some degree, was. It's like Dungeon Crawl Classics. Dungeon Crawl Classics is its own thing. It has its own Appendix N kind of thing, but it's not emulating any of those books specifically, Right. It's still its own thing, its own aesthetic. And and I totally get what, what you're saying, and I don't think we have any disagreement on games. Um, and I think in some genres, the not playing the superhero definitely is the right way to go. You know, you know, in a, in a Western, you're always risking the chance of, of getting shot and killed. I mean, that it could happen to anybody, no matter how good you are, right? Um, so, I yeah, I, I definitely don't have a problem playing normal people in most games. Hey, Jason, thanks again for the calls. Uh, I think we are pretty much on the same sheet of music regarding gaming. I think our tastes are very similar. And my hang-up with rules as written and genre is largely, I think, a part, in part my aversion to having things dictated to me and having... Um, these strictures and almost like handcuffs put on you. Like, oh, we're playing a fantasy game. You can't put uh, um, these trappings from westerns in it, or you can't have uh, the characters come across some kind of radiation or uh, plasma rifle or something. Um... I, it feels like genre used to be a little bit more fluid in literature. I mean, uh, with fantasy, sci-fi, was just called wasn't it all just called science fiction at one point? Um, and now I think because people like to like to categorize things, we have all these different classifications, and some people take it very seriously, and some people don't. And like you allude to. Dungeon Crawl Classics, which ostensibly was based on uh, Joseph Goodman going back and reading all the the Appendix N books on Gary Gygax's list, and then letting that kind of stew in his brain, and this is the game he came up to emulate that. But yeah, you're right, it's his own thing, it's not specifically emulating any one um, set of books or short stories or characters or whatever. You could... You could potentially play, I think, almost anything with it, just like D&D. You could potentially play almost anything with it, but it is its own thing. Um, yeah, with, um, I think, well, maybe maybe BJ from the Arcane Alienist, <laughs> the game doc, can put me on the game couch and give me some kind of analysis or something. It, it probably is really part of my psychology that... Um, I just don't like to have these barriers and uh, uh, borders put around me. Um, I like to be able to have the freedom to just do what do what I want. We we spend so much of our lives 
living by the rule, the conventions and rules of society or, uh, whatever employer we have, um, that gaming, I think should be some kind of outlet from that. And I think it's fine if you want to play rules as written on a game. I think it's fine if you want to have a real strict genre, like we're playing Forgotten Realms or playing um, Dune or something like that. That's fine if, if everyone wants to play that. That's cool. And that's what Jason's saying too with all of this. Um, but I, I just, because... And that's the appeal to me of the role-playing game, more, maybe more than anything, is that it is open-ended. Your characters can try anything, right? As a group or as a DM, you can uh, make your own world. As a group or a DM, you can make your own rule set or modify an existing rule set. It's freedom. Freedom! <laughs> Speaking of house rules... Let's see what Daniel from Bandit's Keep has to say. I shall crush the barbarian Hey Rob, Daniel from Bandit's Keep calling in. It's funny, I was listening to Jason's comment about that house rules generally benefit the DM, and my very first thought was, what? No, they usually benefit the players. And then as you were kind of going through with that same thought process, I said, let me just be devil's advocate here. And I almost, I don't know if this is Jason saying, but I could almost see some of the things you're talking about benefiting the GM. For instance, being able to switch spells to cure light wounds. Okay, so what does that do? That benefits the player so they could take a different spell like detect magic, right? But doesn't it also benefit the DM because they want players to take utility spells and they know they won't take them when cure light wounds is on the table. So by making that house rule, you're basically saying, don't take cure light wounds because you never have to. So you don't like as a GM players always taking cure light wounds because you want them to use utility spells because you think that's more fun and more interesting. So you make that house rule. And on some level, the same can be said for higher stats, maximum hit points, more spells, spell slots instead of or spell spontaneous casting. Because what that ends up doing is it shapes the game to the type of game the DM wants to play. Now, I'm not saying that the players don't want to play that because obviously a lot of house rules are made with the group. But, right, like let's say I don't want to play a game where players are constantly bringing in new characters because they're dying all the time. So I give them more hit points. That way they can survive longer and get to the higher levels where I want to put tougher monsters against them. I'm sick of running kobolds. I want to run some ogres. It, like nobody, keep, nobody survives because they're rolling one hit point. So, you know what? Max hit points at first level. You know what? Death saves. You know what? Faster healing. And then what that does is it lets people be higher level, faster, without just giving it to them. So then you feel like, oh, I've fixed the game or given the players a benefit. But maybe that's actually for the DM, right? Maybe that's the DM's benefit to uh, just have higher level characters in the game. But all that being said, I think ultimately the best house rules, uh, best as in for your table, are the ones that people discuss and talk about together. Not something that the DM just throws down and says, this is what you follow, but hey, I'm thinking about running a campaign that's going to be a little bit more uh, tougher monsters and stuff, so I'm going to start you guys with higher hit points if that's cool. Sure. Hey, you know what? I want you guys to not always be taking cure light wounds, so I'm going to make, you can switch any spell to cure light wounds. Hey, I'm going to allow wizard staff healing so you don't have to play a cleric because I want to play in a world where clerics would be rare. These are all benefits to the player, but also to the GM, and that creates a game that we all like because ultimately just like they say in the first three little books of OD&D make the game your own 
you know, after OD&D, like, like you jokingly said, everything else is house rules. So if you're not playing just by the three little brown books and chainmail, you're using house rules anyway. So why not play with house rules that your group really loves? Amen, brother. <laughs> no, I think that's what most people uh, will agree on. The listeners to this show, the callers into other shows, the other podcasters, we're all saying really a lot of the same things. Play what you like. Um, don't always listen to what other people are saying. Just focus on on what you like and what the people you're playing with like and, and yeah, forge ahead. Daniel does, as he often does, has a, a different tack or something or, or bring something, put something in a different perspective for me. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Daniel. And maybe this is what Jason was referring to, too, when he was talking about how a lot of house rules are put in to favor the GM, quote-unquote. Um, and maybe there is, a, not maybe, there is a ring of truth to this that a lot of times the the house rules are to make the game f- more fun for the GM uh, and to create a setting the GM enjoys and a game style the GM enjoys. Now, hopefully, you're either having a back and forth with the, where the players and the GM are kind of wrangling this out and hammering it out. Uh, in my experience, the players generally just are like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds fine." You know, like the 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 DM is almost like the lead songwriter in the group, um, and the the players are chiming in with hey this is here's a cool um fill or a a cool baseline or something like that um and maybe if there's enough like like no 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 this isn't gonna fly uh this isn't what we're doing or this isn't what we enjoy you're going off the off the rails that kind of feedback you'll i'll occasionally get but for the most part the play the people I play with are usually cool with just going whatever with what the DM wants and just let's see how it plays out, you know? This this maybe looks a little wonky on paper, but maybe it will play really cool or oh man, I really wanted to play uh a bard, but I know Rob hates bards, so okay, I won't play a bard. I'll play something else that maybe can have elements that are like a bard, or I can play him up as a musician or something, but he doesn't have any crazy powers to give other people bonuses somehow with his uh, magical poetry or, <laughs> or something. Uh, but yeah, um, and and while I think that you're probably going to come up with a, the best set of house rules, game rules, whatever, through collaboration. I do believe the the GM should be the have the final word on things and really be the driving voice and visionary because they are the person that's putting in by far, in my experience, and in my all the game groups I've ever played with, one commonality is the dm puts in way more work and effort into the game than any any single player does so 
I do think they should have the most say because they have the most skin in the game, so to speak. So that might be an unpopular opinion with some. It's not like me trying to say players suck or something. But it's just, that's, to me, that's how it goes. In, In many cases, the DM's the person that's buying the most game material, putting the most, like, monetary effort, the most time into it, the most creative thought and just thought in general. Uh, if a player is like really drilling down and getting into this one character, well, the DM's maybe not going as deep, but thinking about that for a whole cast of characters and monsters and the setting and all that stuff. So yeah, I, you know, I do think the, the GM should have, uh, a little bit more say in what goes on in the game. Not dictatorial, not like, <laughs> we don't want Saddam Hussein running the game or something, right? We, I think we all can agree on that. But happy GM, usually happier game. Happy players, miserable GM, game isn't going to last. And the same, the flip is true too. If the GM's making the players miserable, the game's not going to last. Uh... But usually, just fun gameplay and camaraderie trumps all these house rules, settings, whatever, anyway, right? Yeah, Herm, you agree? Herm, you have something to say? Well, that's it on that. And Joe has something to say. He's called in with a little cheese action again. So we'll wrap that up now. What's up, Rob? Calling in to talk more cheese talk. So going off of what Goblin's Henchman was talking about with the tasty cheese, I was on the phone with a friend of mine from New Zealand a while back, and she was in the grocery store. She knows that I know a little bit about food, so we like to talk while she's in the grocery store. She's looking for cheeses, and she's like, okay, so they have cheddar, but they also have tasty cheddar. What's that? And I was like, I, I have no idea. So I really like your idea that it's just a more mature cheddar. That makes a lot of sense, dude. Awesome stuff. Okay, now here's the cheese hill I will die on. I 100% agree with you, Rob, that people should eat and use the cheese, the cheeses that they like. But here is the thing. Folks, please do not use pre-shredded cheese. It's coated with cellulose so it doesn't stick together in the bag. You don't want sawdust with your cheese. It doesn't take any time to shred your own. It's cheaper. It's better. Do not use pre-shredded cheese. Anyway, man, Rob, that's it for me. Peace out. Hey, there you go. Thanks, Joe, for getting to the bottom of the, or bringing more information to the whole tasty cheese down under. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is probably true, that the tasty cheese. If it isn't a brand, uh, it's a descriptor that we just don't use in the U.S. or or maybe U.K. too, where we're calling things mature, aged, vintage, whatever. Uh, and down there, they're calling it tasty. Because it's more tasty. Makes sense. And yeah, shredded cheese, that's true. That um, Many uh, producers that, that have like shredded, grated, shaved cheese will put cellulose in as an anti-caking agent so that it doesn't all clump and stick together in the bag or whatever. And yeah, that's, um, I don't know. I mean, it's whether or not it's safe... Who knows? I I mean, presumably, hopefully it is. uh, If it's food-grade cellulose that um, 
uh, has been approved. Uh, I mean, there are other things that uh, some companies use that are presumably a little better for you, like uh, potato starch or corn starch or something. So you can look at the ingredients there and see if you can find one with a more palatable anti-caking agent. But I agree 100% with you that if you want flavor, if you want fresh, (laughs) firms rummaging around here, Um, if you want flavor and fresh, yeah, put in a little elbow grease and shred it yourself, either box grater, rotary graters, uh, microplanes, whatever, you're going to get better cheese uh, than the stuff that's in the baggie. And, um, I, I mean, if you have like, if, if there's some kind of physical mobility issue, you know, obviously if it's hard for you to, to grate or shred cheese, yeah, that, that's an option. And it's, it's a definitely a convenience and my God, it's, it's ridiculous working at a grocery store, how freaking lazy so many customers are, you know, I've been out of this one type of feta that I, that I crumble because uh, I buy it bulk and buckets and stuff, and uh, and the only feta I can get is is sealed in little retail blocks and stuff right now. And the bitching I get from customers about this, oh, I'm gonna crumble it myself. It's it takes you like thirty seconds. Feta wants to crumble itself. You know, you can you could just like throw it in a bowl and it would crumble itself almost, <laughs> and then take a fork and break it up. I mean. What's the big freaking deal? And people buying like chopped onions and chopped mirepoix, you know, it's really, you can't even chop an onion anymore. But I guess this is a society that also just flocks to restaurants and stuff too, because they're, well, whatever. (laughs) I'm going off the rails big time here. But suffice it to say, Joe was right about the whole cellulose thing. But yeah, look at the fine print. You might find some uh, producers that use more palatable anti-caking agents, but in general, buy a block, shred what you need, put the block back in your refrigerator. You'll you'll have better better results in your cooking, more flavorful results. Uh, you can control the shred size or the grate size more. It's just yeah, it's better. Less surface area. That's that's one of the the keys with cheese is. You cut things up and you increase the surface area of, uh, for air to get at. It degrades more quickly. It dries out more quickly. Yeah, it's just better to better to buy blocks. Do it. All right. Thanks for uh, the calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, from Daniel from Bandits Keep, Joe from Hindsightless, and uh, Cody from No Save for You. And until I talk to you again, don't go down in a heap. Time to go, Ariel. Goodbye, Thank you. Thank you.